Good News Church is one church, but we have two campuses. So in, in uh, the end of December, our World Golf Village campus pastor, Andy, uh, went on to be a chaplain in the Army. So we formed a search team. We formed a search team to look for a new campus pastor, and we got, I think, like 70 resumes from all over the country and really all over the world. And our search team uh, went through them. We did some interviews, and then we recently recommended to our elders um, who we thought would be best for it. And um, it was actually someone from within the church. It's Dave Ackerman's going to be our new World Golf Village campus pastor. And I want you to know Dave has done so much for Good News Church and so much for this campus that uh, there's a big hole in him leaving and we're trusting you guys to step up and fill in those spots, okay? Uh, we're really, really excited about uh, Dave and this new position. He's been on board at Good News for 15 years and uh, we're really, really thankful for him. So let's pray. Good morning, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We sang about you this morning, and we pray that your spirit, that you, Holy Spirit, would open our eyes to see the wonder of how great our God is. And Lord, we thank you for Dave, and we thank you for Sue Ellen, and we thank you for 15 years of faithfulness and fruitfulness in ministry here. And Holy Spirit, we pray that uh, you would fill Dave anew, that the World Golf Village campus would be excited about uh, moving ahead with Dave. And Lord, we pray that as you've left us your word and you've left us your spirit and you've left us your church, that as Dave and I open the word today, that your spirit would move among us, that lost people would be one to you, that you would open eyes and soften hearts and draw people to you. And Lord, we pray that believers would be built up, that believers would see you, Jesus, and would want to follow you more fully as they're built up in you. And Lord, we pray for workers to be equipped to learn things that would equip them to be disciple makers. And Lord, we pray that you would multiply disciple makers, that we would be a church that, that makes disciples who can make disciples because there are so many people in this county who need to hear your name and so many people in this world who need to know you. May it be so because we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Yesterday, um, we buried my mom, and it was a sad day, but it wasn't a tragic day. And you know why? Because my mom was saved. My mom knew Jesus. And so for the last 14 years, at least till this past year, where you couldn't, I couldn't visit her, but every week I would visit my mom. She was in a nursing home for 14 years. And every week I would get together, would open up the Bible, and I would read the Bible to her, and then I would pray. And what I would pray is, Jesus, because you died and rose, our failures are not fatal, and our lives are not futile, and our death is not final. Uh, my mom died on a Monday. My sister called me. Karen was with my mom on Sunday, and, and I got to say that with her one last time. I'm so thankful my mom was saved, because what that means is, listen, our failures aren't fatal. Aren't you glad? And that our lives aren't futile, aren't you glad? And our death is not final. Um, so listen, if, if someone asked you today, are you saved, what would you say? Uh, some of you might say, from what? I mean, are you saved from what, right? And then what? 
By what? How, how, how are we saved? And then what? For what? So that's what we're going to explore today, the, the idea of what it means to be saved. The, the point of today's message is that there is only one true gospel. There's only one true gospel, and here's what the gospel says. We're saved from God, by God, and for God. Did you hear that? We're saved from God. What? Yeah, we're going to explore that we're saved from God, huh? by God, and for God. By God, for God, from God, by God, and for God. Uh, and, and when we're saved, what's so good is then we can live from that moment on knowing that all of our failures, our failures aren't fatal, and our lives are not futile, and our death is not final. So if you have your Bible, turn with me to Exodus uh, chapter 8. And if you don't have a Bible, you, you should bring it. Do you know what it is? It's the, it's the Word of God. I've shared with you many times my oldest daughter would love to open a book and smell it. And you know what happens when you smell the Bible? It smells like Jesus, doesn't it? On every page, we're learning that every page, when you read God's Word, it smells like Jesus. And so if you're new, this year we're walking through the book of Exodus, the second book in the Bible, um, and it's the story. It's the, it's the gospel story. It's, it's about how God is saving His people, Israel, from Egypt, from captivity, by His deliverer, for Him, to serve Him and worship Him. Last week, we were looking at the story, and Tim shared about the first plague that God sent of turning, uh, turning the, the water of the Nile into blood, and now we pick up the story. Exodus 8, <clears throat> verse 1, Then the Lord said to Moses, Go to Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says the Lord, let my people go that they may serve me. There's the one true gospel. God is saving his people. They're saved from Egypt. They're saved by God's deliverer. They're saved for, to serve God and to worship God. There it is. They're saved from captivity. They're saved by God's deliverer. They're saved for, to serve God to worship God. Let my people go that they may serve me. But if you refuse to let them go, behold, I will smite your whole territory with frogs. Don't you love that word? What? Which word? What? Smite. <laughs> and, and with frogs. Now, that's an interesting frogs for a plague, isn't it? But I can remember camping out in this campground once, and the frogs were so loud you couldn't sleep at night, right? That I will smite you with frogs. The Nile will swarm with frogs, which will come up and go into your house and into your bedroom and on your bed. I mean, this was camping out. We couldn't sleep because of the frogs. Can you imagine if they were in your bedroom and your bed? And into the house of your servants and of your people and into your ovens and into your kneading bowls. So the frogs will come up on you and your people and all your servants. Then the Lord said to Moses, Say to Aaron, stretch out your hand with your staff over the rivers, over the streams, and over the pools, and make frogs come up on the land of Egypt. So Aaron stretched out his hand over the waters of Egypt, and the frogs came up and covered the land of Egypt. The magicians did the same with their secret arts, making frogs come up on the land of Egypt. Now, What's with a plague of frogs? 
So, so let me give you three things. First of all, all the plagues seem to correspond to an Egyptian god. All the plagues seem to, uh, to correspond in, with an Egyptian god. And one of the gods of Egypt was Hecate. Uh, I think I've got a picture here. See, Hecate? This would be like the god of the Nile, and she's like, what, half frog and half person, right? So part of all the plagues, this god was showing that the, the Egyptians, that God was more powerful than their gods. So that's one thing. The second thing is, is every plague shows how God takes the smallest thing and uses it to accomplish amazing things. I mean, if we were going to overthrow the most powerful person on earth, would we choose frogs? But isn't that a picture of the gospel? I mean, wasn't Jesus a nobody? If you were going to change the world, would you be born in a barn? If you were going to change the world, would you die on a cross? Who ever heard of, of, of a savior or, or a deliverer dying? But isn't it true that Jesus was a nobody? Isn't it? And yet he changed history. I mean, what year is this? It's what? You guys there? It's what? 2021. What does that mean? 20, over 2,000 years ago, what? Someone came and his life was so eventful that it changed human history, right? And listen, what we see in using frogs to overthrow pharaohs should be wildly encouraging to us. So often we say, I'm not smart enough, I'm not good enough, I can't make a difference, but God can take what? Frogs. God can take frogs and use them to deliver his people. Imagine what he could do with us if we gave ourselves to him. So what's with the frogs? First of all, they, they kind of show how God is more powerful than the gods of Egypt, than Hecate. Secondly, they show us how God can do amazing things with the smallest thing. And thirdly, I want you to know that every plague gets more intense. Every plague gets more intense because God is warning Pharaoh and all people, repent, repent, or repent, or something worse will happen. And isn't that what happens that Pharaoh continually refuses to repent? And in the end, what happens? In the end, the firstborn son is killed. The worst plague is at the end. We believe that God is trying to make us comfortable in this life. And God's not trying to make us comfortable. God's trying to make us uncomfortable. He wants us to repent. He wants us to put our faith in him. Because in the end, if we don't repent and if we don't put our faith in him, we will experience the worst thing possible, won't we? It will be what? It'll be hell, right? God is warning us through all the difficulties in life. We live in a fallen world, and it's so important we repent and put our faith in Christ. And I know, I know some of you say, well, Smiley, how could a loving God send anyone to hell? And that's a good question. But the real question, the better question, is how could a loving God send someone to heaven who doesn't want to be there? What? God appears to Pharaoh over and over again and says what? Repent. Repent. And Pharaoh says what? No. And in the end, God gives to Pharaoh just what he wants. And so it will be that God is calling people to repent and to do life with him and to do eternity with him. And some people will say, no, no, no. And in the end, God will give them exactly what they want. They didn't want to do life with him. They won't do eternity with him either. Don't let that be you. 
Listen to the plagues. They show us how God is stronger than the gods of Egypt. They show us how God can do amazing things through the smallest things. They also show us that God is continually warning us how important it is that we believe in Jesus and are saved before it is too late. Then Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron and said, Entreat the Lord that he remove the frogs for me. And Well, let me say one more thing about the magicians. <laughs> uh, in verse 7, the magicians did the same with their secret arts. So it's interesting. Somehow they were able to, to do what Moses did, but not to reverse it. So they could add frogs to the misery, right? But they couldn't reverse it. Don't you know Pharaoh said to his magicians what? Thanks a lot, right? That's all we needed was what? Was more, more frogs. Then Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron and said, Entreat the Lord that he remove the frogs from me and my people, and I will let the people go that they may sacrifice to the Lord. It seems like Pharaoh's heart is softening a little bit. Now, picture this. Who has the power? Pharaoh, most powerful man on earth, or slaves, Moses and Aaron? Who has more power? Who? Well, the Pharaoh is asking what? Moses to stop something he can't stop with all the political power he has. And uh, Moses said to Pharaoh, the honor is yours to tell me, when shall I entreat for you and your servants and your people that the frogs be destroyed from you and your houses that they may be left only in the Nile? Okay, I want to show you how great God is. You get to pick the time. You pick the time. Then he said, tomorrow. Now we say, why did he say tomorrow? But listen, the land's covered with frogs. What Pharaoh was thinking is there's no way. There's no way God can do this. Tomorrow's way too soon. We'd think, why didn't he say what? Now. But that's because you know God. They were thinking, uh, Pharaoh was saying, listen, the whole land, there's no way he's going to be able to do this. And God is going to lose face to his people because tomorrow is going to come and he's never going to be able to pull this off. Then he said tomorrow. So Moses said, may it be according to your word that you may know that there is no one like the Lord our God. The frogs will depart from you and your houses and your servants and your people they will be left only in the Nile. Then Moses and Aaron went out from Pharaoh, and Moses cried to the Lord concerning the frogs. Jesus tells us to pray for our enemies, right? And doesn't Jesus pray for us? And what's Moses doing? He's crying out to God on behalf of Pharaoh and behalf of the Egyptians. He cried out to God uh, <clears throat> on behalf of... Cried out to the Lord concerning the frogs which he had inflicted upon Sarah, the Pharaoh. The Lord did according to the word of Moses, and the frogs died out of the houses, the courts, and the fields. So, so they piled them in heaps, and the land became foul. Can you imagine that? Just the whole land is filled with dead, dead frogs. Um, but again, let me ask you, who has the power here, Pharaoh or Moses and Aaron? Who? Are you guys there? Who? Listen, here's what I've heard, that if you offer the church political power or spiritual power, the church will always choose political power. 
How many Christians are so discouraged today by what's happening in our politics? The church has been entrusted with spiritual power. We've been entrusted with the gospel. The apostle Paul was a nobody, but he had the gospel. He said, I want to go to Rome. I want to go to Rome because I have something more powerful than all the armies in Rome. Huh? Remember what Paul said in Romans 1, 16? For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God. What would happen? What would happen to our church? What would happen in our community if we believe we had been granted a power more powerful than political power? We had been given the dynamite of God. It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Are there problems in our country? Yes, but who can change the heart? Who? Jesus can. To be saved is to be saved from and by and for. Oh, that we believe that we had been entrusted with a greater power than political power, the power of the gospel. That's what Moses and Aaron believed. They prayed. And what happened? Um, the frogs were piled up. But when Pharaoh saw this, saw that there was relief, he hardened his heart and he did not listen to them as the Lord had said. Now see the word heart? That's a, th this word's used a lot in the Bible. It's used 790 times in my Bible. 790 times the heart. Uh, now, the heart in the Bible is different from our culture. In our culture, generally when people are speaking about the hearts, they're speaking about the, the emotions. The emotions. But in the Bible, the heart is much bigger than the emotions. It's the whole control center. It's the mind where we think. It's the emotions where we feel. And it's the will where we choose. It's the whole thing, the mind. That's why the Bible talks about repentance, changing our thinking, because changing our thinking leads to changing our emotions, which means moves to changing our will. Mind, emotions, will. But here, Pharaoh did what he hardened his heart. Know what he said to God? What? No. And know why people say no to God? Because they think they're wiser than God. They want to be God. So Pharaoh hardened his heart. We're going to see that three times in this passage. We're going to see it in verse 15. We'll see it again in verse 19. We'll see it again in verse 32. Pharaoh hardened his heart. You know what the Bible says? Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. If you hear his voice saying to you, be saved, do not harden your heart. If you hear the Lord saying to you, follow me, follow me, do not harden your heart. Every time we say no to God, we are hardening our heart. Then the Lord said to Moses, <clears throat> say to Aaron, stretch out your staff and strike the dust of the earth that it may become gnats through all the land of Egypt. Uh, they did so, and Aaron stretched out his hand with his staff and struck the dust of the earth, and there were gnats on man and beast. All the dust of the earth became gnats through all the land of Egypt. Now, I want you to understand that the Hebrew vocabulary was not real good with biology. It wasn't real good. They didn't have a word in Hebrew for frogs, so they called the frogs croakers. 
croakers, and they didn't have a word for gnats, so their word they used was small flying things. Now, I'm not sure, because their biology wasn't so good, this plague is gnats, and the next one is flies, what the difference was. But in my mind, I'm thinking the gnats were like noceums. Don't you hate noceums? I mean, with a mosquito, you have a, a, a reasonable battle, right, because you can see them. But no seum, you're getting eaten alive and you can't even fight them, right? When our kids were little, I used to take them camping and I took Luke one, uh, one weekend to Jonathan Dickinson State Park just north of Jupiter. And we're camping down by the river and at night the no seums came out and I discovered we did not have a Florida tent. You know what I discovered? That the, the no seums went right through the netting and we were eaten alive that night. That weekend's over, know what I did with that tent? I threw it away. And I was very careful to select a Florida tent that has no seam netting that they can't get through. Can you imagine being in Egypt? That one night was miserable. Can you imagine being in, in Egypt and you have these little small flying objects eating you and you can't even fight against them? Now notice what happens next. The magicians tried with their secret arts to bring forth gnats, but they could not. So there were gnats on man and beast. So they had been able to, to reproduce a few of the plagues, but now they, they, they can't do it. Then the magician said to Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. Now notice, they're not saying this is the finger of Yahweh. It's not like they've come to saving faith, but they're recognizing they're dealing with something here besides their own illusion. This is the finger of God, but Pharaoh's heart was hardened. They're pleading with him, but he's saying no, right? And he did not listen to them as the Lord had said. So if you hear his voice today, don't, don't harden your heart. Now the Lord said to Moses, rise early in the morning and present yourself before Pharaoh as he comes out to the water and say to him, thus says the Lord, let my people go that they may serve me. There's the one true gospel. There it is. We're saved from, we're saved by, we're saved for. They were saved from captivity by God's deliverer to serve and to worship God. For if you do not let my people go, I will send swarms of flies on you and on your servants and on your people and into your houses and the houses of the Egyptians will be full of swarms of flies and also the ground in which they dwell. Um, I mean, don't you hate a picnic when the flies show up? We, we're living in a rental house now and when we moved in about a year ago, somehow there were flies in the house. They didn't bite you, they just were annoying, Right? They were annoying and how good it was when we got rid of the flies from the house. Can you imagine having flies everywhere all the time? Um, For if you do not let my people go, I will send swarms of flies on you and on your servants and on your people and into your houses. And the houses of the Egyptians will be full of swarms of flies and also the ground in which they dwell. But on that day, I will set apart the land of Goshen where my people are living so that no swarms of flies will be there in order that you may know that I, the Lord, am in the midst of the land and I will put a division between my people and your people. Tomorrow this sign will occur. Now, so far the plague's affected both, but now God makes the division. 
And isn't that what the Bible teaches? Doesn't the Bible teach us that history is moving toward a judgment day? And on the judgment day, there'll be a division, right? And the sheep will be put on the one side and the goats will be put on the other side. God is making a division. Then the Lord did so, and there were great swarms of flies into the house of Pharaoh and the houses of his servants, and the land was laid waste because of the swarms of flies in all the land of Egypt. Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron and said, Go, sacrifice to your God within the land. And notice, notice what Pharaoh's trying to do. He's trying to bargain with God. Uh, I'm not going to let them go, but it's okay for them to worship as long as they stay in the land. But notice how Moses replied. But Moses said, It is not right to do so, for we will sacrifice to the Lord our God what is an abomination to the Egyptians. If we sacrifice what is an abomination to the Egyptians before their eyes, will they not stone us? Now I want you to understand there was a time that the Hebrews were welcomed in Egypt. And then, and then it changed and they were tolerated. And now there was open hostility. He said, if we worship inside the land, they will stone us because they will call our sacrifice an abomination. Isn't that true of our country? Isn't it? Isn't it true that our country was started by people who were looking for religious freedom and so our faith was celebrated? And it wasn't too many years ago it was tolerated, but today isn't there open hostility? Listen, there are many today, and they speak of the cross. They say the substitutionary atonement, the central doctrine of our faith that Christ died on the cross for sinners, they say that's child abuse that it's child abuse for a father to put his son to death on the cross, that the cross is now an abomination to many in our culture. It is, isn't it? Huh. Isn't there a hostility toward our faith? Listen, when we say Jesus said, not I said, when we say Jesus said, I'm the way and the truth and the life, no one comes to the Father. But isn't there not hostility? Isn't that an abomination? How could you be so narrow? So that's what they were facing. Listen, if, if we offer sacrifices in our land, they will stone us. Um, we must go a three days journey into the wilderness and sacrifice to the Lord our God as he commands us. Pharaoh said, I will let you go that you may sacrifice to the Lord your God in the wilderness. Only you shall not go very far from me. Make supplication for me. Um, do you know what God requires to be saved? He requires unconditional surrender, doesn't he? Do you, God doesn't take bargains. I'll let you be Lord of part of my life, but not, not another part. I, I'm going to hang on to some of my goodness. No, God requires what? Unconditional surrender. But, but, but he says, uh, pray for me. Then Moses said, behold, I am going out from you, and I shall make supplication to the Lord that the swarms of flies may depart from Pharaoh, from his servants and from his people tomorrow only. Do not let Pharaoh deal deceitfully again in not letting the people go to sacrifice to the Lord. So Moses went out from Pharaoh and made supplication to the Lord. Moses and Aaron go and they pray for Pharaoh. The Lord did as Moses asked, and remove the swarms of flies from Pharaoh, from his servants, and from his people. 
Not one remained, but Pharaoh's heart was hardened this time also, and he did not let the people go. Wow. So Pharaoh had quite a prayer team, right? He had, he had uh, Moses and Aaron praying for him. Do you know that you have an amazing prayer time team? This points to your prayer team. You won't believe who's praying for you. In Romans chapter 8, let me show you your prayer team. In Romans chapter 8, it says, In the same way the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, in the same way the Spirit also helps our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us. Do you ever feel like you don't know how to pray? You've got a prayer team. The Holy Spirit's praying for you with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Isn't that great? Part of your prayer team. The Holy Spirit is continually praying for you before the Father. And he's praying according to God's will, right? That uh, he's praying for you, okay? That you would follow Jesus and that you would fish for men, right? Oh, and you know who else is a part of your prayer team? In Romans 8, not only is the Holy Spirit praying for you, but Jesus is praying for you. Verse 34, look at this. This is so cool. Christ Jesus is he who died. We believe that, right? That Jesus died. Uh, rather, who was raised, and we believe he was raised. And after appear appearing to his disciples over a period of 40 days, he ascended into heaven. What's he doing? Is he on vacation? No. Who's at the right hand of God who also intercedes for us? You ever just think of that? There's the Father, and there's the Spirit, and there's the Son on both sides interceding for us. Thank you, Spirit. Thank you, Jesus, for interceding for us, right? Oh, what, what a prayer team we have, right? So back to what we've seen, Pharaoh hardens his heart, but what we've seen here is the gospel. That's what we've seen. Back to verse 1. The Lord said to Moses, go to Pharaoh and say to him, thus says the Lord, let my people go that they may serve me. Listen, that's the gospel. God wanted to save them from, by, and for, from being captive, by God's deliver to serve and worship the Lord. And we saw the same, didn't we? We saw the same in verse 20. Thus says the Lord, let my people go that they may serve me. Save from, save by, save for. And I want you to know that's our story too. Oh. Listen to this. This is in Ephesians chapter 2. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins. You see, the gospel is good news, but it has bad news. And in this verse, we see the bad news. See the word sin? We've all sinned against God. We've all trespassed. We've stepped across known boundaries. And because of that, we're dead. We're spiritually dead, totally unable to save ourselves. Just like Egypt couldn't deliver themselves or Israel, we can't save ourselves because we're dead. In which you all, you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Not only were we spiritually dead in our sins, but we were held captive by our enemy, the devil. We were held captive. We were captives of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them, we too all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature, what? We were by nature children of wrath. We stood condemned before God because of our sin, even as the rest. So what is the bad news? It was really bad. We're sinners, dead, 
Hell captive, children of wrath. What do we do? There's nothing we can do because we're dead but God. <laughs> I always tell you there's good buts and bad buts. Isn't that a good but? You see, that's where we change from the bad news that we were dead. We were held captive. We were children of wrath. But God intervened. Just like God intervened by sending Moses to Egypt, God intervened, being rich in mercy, his love for helpless people, because of his great love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead in our transgressions, when we were dead and helpless, God acted on our behalf, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. God intervened. God the Son put on flesh and came to earth and he lived a perfect life and he died in our place and he rose and then God loved us so much he sent people to us to share the gospel and he sent the Holy Spirit to raise us from the dead and to soften our hearts and to draw us to Christ. And you know what? For all of eternity we're going to be God's trophies of grace. I used to live in a house and the owner was a hunter and there were deer heads and uh, pig heads and all on the wall and when people could come in you could see who were animal lovers who really were in horror and who loved to hunt and loved it but you know what we are the trophies of God's grace on the walls of his house look at you and look at you and look at you you were dead and now you're alive we're trophies of his grace trophies of his grace we line the den of his house for by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. We're saved, right? By grace, through faith. We're saved from God's wrath. We're saved by God's grace, through faith. We're saved for God, to worship Him and enjoy Him. How about you? Have you been saved? If you've not, won't you be saved today? We're saved by His grace, by what Christ has done for us. We're saved through faith. And what is faith? Faith is as simple as A and B and C, where we admit, Jesus, I've sinned against you and I'm sorry. Won't you? Where we believe, Jesus, I believe you died on the cross for my sins and rose. Where we commit, where we surrender and say, Jesus, I'm going to quit trying to be good. And I'm going to trust what you did for me on the cross. Your death and resurrection is sufficient. Forgive me. Give me eternal life. It's where we surrender. Jesus, I'm tired of saying no to you. And so I surrender. And from this day forward, as you give me strength, I will follow you. Won't you? Won't you admit and believe and commit? And if you have, I want you to know you've been saved from God's wrath, by God's grace, for God. For God what? Listen to the very next verse. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we would walk in them. He's raised us from the dead. He saved us so that we could walk in the good works he's prepared for us. So... <clears throat> What have we learned so far? There's one true gospel. We're saved from God, by God, and for God. And so the action, or the action step for this week is what I want you to do is to apply the gospel in all of life. I want you to apply the gospel in all of life. And you say, well, well how do we do that? Well, we do it through his word. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 3. When Jesus left, he left his word. 
When Jesus left, he left the Holy Spirit. When Jesus left, he left the church with gifted teachers so that we could discover in God's word the good works that he's prepared for us. Listen to what the Bible says. All scripture from, from Genesis to Revelation is inspired by God. God breathed into men who wrote down exactly what God intended. All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching. You want to know Jesus? Get in the word. For reproof, want to see where you're off base? Get in the word. For correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for, come on, for Every good work, every good work which God has prepared for us, is, is, we can learn it in the scriptures. The word reveals it, the spirit illumines it, it helps us to understand. So I want to show you today, share with you how I apply the gospel to my past and to my present and to my future. <clears throat> but I wanted to show you something. These are the scripture verses that I've memorized. When people give me their business cards, I say thank you, but then I just stick them in here. And I write a verse on there. I spend three minutes a day, three minutes a day working on scripture memory, three minutes. Uh, can you afford three minutes? Three minutes, and if you learn a verse a week, you know, that's 50 verses in a year, and then over like 10 years, it's all of a sudden 500 verses. And for three minutes a day, I review scripture, and you say, well, why? Well, I heard someone say something once. They said the Holy Spirit had brought to their remembrance many verses they had memorized, but no verses that they hadn't memorized. And I find it so helpful to apply the gospel to my life to have the Holy Spirit have verses to apply. So here's how I apply the gospel to my past. Our failures are not fatal. When I go to bed at night, that's when my failures overwhelm me. Anybody else like that? All day long, I can fake it pretty good. But when I lie down at night, my failures as a husband and a father and a pastor overwhelm me. Now, I could tell God what a wonderful person I am. How effective do you think that would be? But instead, what I do is I apply the gospel to my life. I apply for by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not as a result of works. Thank you for saving me. You know what I apply to myself? This is so good too. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And I just say thank you, thank you, thank you that I face no condemnation because I'm in Jesus. But do you know what happens when I apply the gospel to my life? I realize I'm not the only person who struggles with her failures. And because I apply the gospel to my life in everyday conversation when other people are telling me about how they're overwhelmed by their failures, you know what I can say? Me too. And they say, well, what do you do? And I can invite them. Hey, come and read this verse. Come and read. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Do you know anybody who'd like to hear that? That's how I apply the gospel to my past. Here's how I apply the gospel to my present. Our lives are not futile. You ever feel like life is futile? Do you? Life is hard, isn't it? I mean, being married is hard. Being single is hard. Being uh, parented is hard. Parenting is hard. Do you know that being a pastor is hard? Do you know what I'm really good at? I'm really good at catching red lights. You should have seen me this morning. <laughs> they just see me coming and I catch them. You know what else I'm really good at? Disappointing people. And you know what I've discovered in this past year? All kinds of new ways to, to um, what was the word I just used? 
Thank you. To disappoint people. Because a year ago, if you had said, Smiley, you can disappoint people by wearing a mask or not wearing a mask, I'd have said, what are you talking about? And listen, my whole life seems to be one tragic tale of disappointing others, and sometimes that's overwhelming to me. You ever feel that way? Um, but I apply the gospel. Listen, Jesus said to them, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. I say, Jesus, I just want to follow you. I want my life to count. Thank you for a purpose big enough to keep me going when all I seem to do is to let people down. Or Philippians 1.21, I, I love this verse, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Jesus, I'm so thankful that because you're alive, my life has a purpose, Lord. Keep me from despairing. Uh, <clears throat> But I find that as I apply the gospel to my life, I'm not the only one. In my conversations with people, I find other people struggle with the futility of life too. And when people share with me how hard it is, I can just step toward them and say, me too. And I can invite them, hey, come. Come and read this verse that means so much to me. And you know what? They can read. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Jesus gives us a purpose that makes sense even with all the futility of life. Um, so listen, I apply the gospel daily to my past and to my present. I also apply it to the future. I apply it to the future. Um, and, and that is that our death is not final. Our death is not final. Uh, Every morning when I wake up, I pray Philippians 1, 21, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Because I believe if I don't practice to die, I'm not going to die well. You think that's true? So I think it's really important that every day of my life when I get up, I think this could be the last day of my life. And Lord, I want to die well just like I want to live well. For, so, so whether I live or die, I can't lose because to live is Christ and to die is gain. And, and then, boy... A hundred times a day, I'll, I'll find myself reminded of my death and, and, and I'll pray, you know, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And I say, Lord, I'm so thankful to know this isn't it. This isn't it. I'm going to live with you forever. And as I apply the gospel to my life, you know what I find? I have so many opportunities to share it with others. Because I talk to so many people and they're so afraid of dying, especially during the pandemic. Don't you see the terror in people's eyes? So many people have put their hope in a vaccine. Now listen, how about a vaccine for death? Hmm? Wouldn't you want that vaccine? How about a death that you don't have to have two, just one? How about a vaccine that there's no side effects. How about a vaccine that's 100% successful forever? Wouldn't you take that vaccine? Um, and listen, if you won't do it for yourself, won't you do it for the loved ones in your life? I tell you, I am so thankful my mom believed in Jesus because every time I would see my mom for the last 14 years, including the last time I saw her, you know what I would always say when I left? You know, don't you? See you later. You know the difference it means between being a Christian and, and not being a Christian? If you're not a Christian, you know what people say? Goodbye. <laughs> but if you're Christian, you know what you say? See you later. And you know why we say that? Because one day, a dead man got up and walked out of the tomb and said, we could too. Oh, dear people, I am so thankful to be a Christian because the gospel helps me deal with my past. 
It helps me deal with my present. It helps me deal with my future. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for coming <clears throat> to seek and save helpless sinners. We were dead. We were captive. We were children of wrath. And you came on the greatest rescue mission ever to live and die and rise that we could be saved. Thank you. And listen, if, if you've never been saved, won't you be today? I mean, don't harden your heart. One day it'll be too late. Won't you admit to Jesus, Jesus, I've sinned against you and I'm sorry. And won't you believe, I believe you died on the cross for my sins. And won't you commit, Jesus, I want you to come in and forgive me and, and give me eternal life. I want you to be Lord of my life and help me be the person you want me to be. Oh, if you've done that for the first time, won't you mark it on your card? We'd love to celebrate with you. And Lord, I pray for, for us as your people that we who have believed the gospel, that we would apply the gospel to our lives, we would apply it to the past, that, that we would fill our hearts with your word and know that our failures are not fatal. And Lord, help us to apply the gospel to our present, to know that our lives are not futile. And Lord, help us to apply the gospel to our future, to know that our death is not final. And Lord, as we rejoice over what good news the gospel brings, open up opportunities to share that good news with others this week. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen.